Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Lucky 10,000. I'm Evan. I'm Carissa. And this is the show dedicated to geekdom and also to educate you that just because you love something doesn't mean you know everything about it. And anyone that loves something is technically a geek. I mean, I consider myself more of a nerd. (laughs) See, I don't. It's most, I know you don't. Like, see, to you, I think it's perfectly cool that you think you're a geek, and you are. You geek out about stuff. Oh, yeah. And that's awesome. I geek out about stuff, but I am a nerd. See, I've always I looked at... I don't associate geek with myself. I know that I, as, an, as a verb, I do geek out about stuff. Well, but I am a nerd. This is an interesting conversation to start the episode then. What is the difference? My take has always been a nerd is someone who uh, is more scholarly and a geek is just someone who's extremely passionate about something. Like I feel like a nerd is more of a general term and a geek says, I am a person that's extremely passionate about something pop culture related. Um, and it doesn't even have to be pop culture related to be perfectly frank. It's that's true, but that point- has become sort of the modern... Yeah, at this point, it's it's totally semantic. Like yeah. there are people who will argue a meaning over another meaning or whatever, and it's mostly just kind of self-identifying. Sure. But nerds to me speak more to uh, like the STEM part of the, like the science, tech, engineering, and math. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with That's that. Absolutely. Nerdier than geeky, but you can be a photography geek or right. a. a I don't know, a running geek. You can be a geek well, about I guess something. Technically, a you would have geek. to be both because you'll geek out about Pokemon, which, you know, there's really no scientific basis to it unless That's you know true. something I don't. Unless you have managed uh, to capture a tiger into a tiny ball. N- no, thankfully, I think. Um, <laughs> although, a tiny tiger in a ball would be pretty cool. Yeah, but when I you. I would like to have him, a tiny tiger. When you released him, he'd be full size again. Oh, that wouldn't be as good. No. And really, that is one of the biggest problems with Pokemon, is it is just sort of a very light, airy take on animal slavery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is something to be said if you want to, and I'm by no means a Pokemon geek. I don't... The only thing I really associate with was Pokemon Snap, right. which was a great game, but I don't really care all that much about Pokemon in general. Right. Um there is something to be said for the kind of evolution of your little poke creatures. Right. Um, but largely, no. It's isn't, just I mean, isn't the cartoony. construct of the show, basically, and the games, that you're in the wild and you capture wild creatures and train them and make them fight for you? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it's a very innocent, cute way of saying, hey, kids, go out and capture a rattlesnake and... He'll be your friend. It'll defend you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some oh. kid gets a rattlesnake inside a giant hamster ball and takes it and to like school. And like throws it at his teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Take this, bullies. And he opens the ball and the snake comes out and bites him in the face. <laughs> oh, snake at you. Like How could you? Right? What? What'd you and say? I mean, there's more. To, I would like to read that headline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy throws 
Python at teacher. Now, believe me, I'm just joking. I'm not seriously coming down on the polka fans because I've always no, been the guy, and I know you agree with me on this, that one of the biggest pet peeves I have, and you, we've known each other for a long time. You haven't seen me truly angry many times. But one of the things that gets me more than anything else is when people blame movies, music, TV shows, video games, what have you, for the awful things that people do to each other. Yes. And so, you know, if a kid did get a rattlesnake and stick him in a hamster ball, I wouldn't go, oh, we need to stop Pokemon. I'd go, you're a dumbass. Yeah, we need to spank your parents. Yeah, we need to stop dumbassery. Yes, that we totally agree on. Yes, absolutely. But if you're new to the show, what we do is one of us, we're both geeks. I would consider you a nerd and a geek then, so maybe a geek or a a gerd. No, no, none of that. (laughs) Your new name is Gertie. (laughs) No. (laughs) Gertie. Talk to me about gaming. I'm not a 90-year-old southern woman. (laughs) I'll tell you about Dungeons & Dragons. I'll tell you about Dungeons & Dragons. Back in my day. Ooh, (laughs) when I get an ache in my knee, I know an orc's nearby. Okay. Um, But basically what we do is we both have very passionate opinions about a lot of things that are considered geekdom but uh as it happens with all walks of life one of us knows a little bit more about a particular subject than the other and today uh is my turn to educate the shit out of carissa about something i'm very geeky about what would that be carissa oh horror movies you're the biggest horror geek i know (laughs) and i have to be careful because i know that with my um multi-coastal accent that yeah. I've worked very hard to keep general American speech pattern. It does, when I say very well. horror, yeah. it comes out like horror. I know that it does. Well, those so, are my passions too. Yes, and of we course. Do an we'll, I mean, that later. Yeah, who doesn't love them? But really, not just horrors, horror movies as well. So it, it, it really is both. Yes, absolutely. And that and is you actually can find kind of all those horror movies as well. Now. <laughs> anyway, um, yes. Horror movies. I'm a horror fan from way back, although um, when I was a kid, they terrified me. Anything remotely scary terrified me. So I wonder okay. sometimes if my passion for them now that started in my early teens is not some kind of rebellion against the really kind of scared, uh, nerdy, fragile kid that I was. Um, okay. Just getting into some psychology there. Yeah. But um, when when did you switch from not liking the fear that horror movies inspire to liking the fear that horror I movies remember inspire? I kind of teased with it in my younger days. Uh, my first memory of being truly scared by a movie uh, was, and I have a vague. You know how sometimes when you have memories of a particular event in your life when you're a kid, it's almost like a dream sequence where in your memory you remember say the section of the room that you were in, but everything else beyond that, say, five-foot radius, is just in a fog. Yeah. Because what was happening in that radius was so impactful, and everything else was just kind of dissipated. Uh, What I remember, and we all know that memory is very subjective, Mm -hmm. but what I remember was that I'm pretty sure my parents took me over to a friend's house, and they plumped me down in front of the TV and turned it on and went to talk to their friends in the kitchen. Uh, what I remember at that moment was fleeting moments of a ghost, uh, a little boy ghost, 
on a live action movie that was being shown on TV that they had no idea I was watching. Okay. And I just remember it terrified me. Like, okay. I could not take my eyes away from the screen, though. And years later, I was doing uh, my first play at the Green Little Theater, and I was in a show, The Crucible. And uh, one of the actors was talking to another actor about this movie that he had just seen because it was around October. So, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of people will only watch horror movies in October. Sure. So they like to talk about them. And I remember hearing some of those images he was describing were exactly from my memory. And I literally ran around to the other side of the dressing room and said, what movie are you talking about? (laughs) And he told me it was The Changeling starring George C. Scott about a man who loses his wife and daughter in a very tragic accident and buries himself in his work and isolates himself from society in obviously an old creepy mansion. <laughs> right. Which is, which is where you want to go if you're depressed. The largest yes. empty space you can find where it's just you wandering aimlessly around. Um, but it's a very, very well done movie and what you slowly learn to the course of the movie is that the house is haunted by the ghost of a little boy. Okay. And I know that you are not a big horror fan because you get scared of this stuff pretty easily. There mm-hmm. aren't many things that I think are scarier if done well than kid ghosts. It's the uh, the creepy baby laugh. Yes. Like the <laughs> little girl giggling echoey in the background. That is one of the creepier If done well, tropes. It, is, it is terrifying. Yeah. And that movie did it so well. It's also got one of the best seance scenes I can remember in a movie. Okay. Because they did the uh, the type of seance where um, – and this is – I've only seen it done in movies once or twice because usually in a seance scene you've got the woman and she – you know, the old craggly woman who starts using the voice of the ghost. Well, in this one, I can't remember what it's called. You may know. Uh, she wasn't talking. She was writing. She had these big pieces of paper. Okay. And she would the ghost would sort of guide her hand, and they did her handwriting you know, change. Yeah. Well, at first okay. it, it started out with just sort of like a very odd, you know, seemingly n- not meaning anything circles, and then she started writing more and more furiously and furiously, and these people are ripping the pages out from under her to get to the next page of what else the ghost wants to say, and the tension is just great. But one of the scenes people remember the most from that movie and this is I love talking about horror movies especially to people who get creeped out by them (laughs) so at this point George C. Scott is pretty damn sure the house is haunted Okay. and he comes home at night and it's dark and he's at the base of a staircase an old wooden staircase and you get his POV of the staircase and it goes up into absolute pitch black darkness naturally of course and he hears that laugh that creepy baby the laugh. Giggly. Yeah. I'm having the time of my life, but I'm a child laugh from the darkness. Yes. And this <laughs> ball comes bouncing down the stairs, one stair okay. after another. And he freaks out. And he picks up the ball and he leaves the house and he gets in his car and he drives miles away to a bridge overlooking a, a furiously moving river. And he tosses the ball into the river and then drives back home. He gets to the house, he shuts the door, he leans against the door, he's exhausted, and he hears that laugh again. Uh-huh. And then you hear... And the ball comes rolling down? And it's wet. Okay. Very well done. 
The name of the movie is The Changeling. The Changeling, yes. Considered by some to be one of the scariest movies ever made. Oh, did you look it up? Mm-hmm. It's very creepy. If ghosts get you, it's very creepy. And it it, it, it was one of those movies, and, and what I consider to be, as I've grown to love horror movies, the best type of horror movie is that most of the time it's more about what you don't see. Yes, yes. You only get fleeting glances of the boy. Mm-hmm. He was drowned. That's how he died. Of course. And uh, like you get one glimpse. George C. Scott is getting ready to take a bath, and he, he, he turns on the, the water in the bathtub, and uh, he looks down, and just for a second you see a boy's face under the water, and this one little bubble goes bloop, and then he's gone. Okay. I mean, that's creepy. Yeah. And it's very well done. Um, but also, it, it, it has that sort of storyline of being a revenge story, too, because there is a reason the spirit is there, and there is something, like, in the sixth sense that the spirit is trying to tell him. Right. <clears throat> so, throughout the movie, it's very hard for any movie, any horror movie, to maintain its fear and its tension through the whole thing. So, you can yes. either have a story and maybe end up making the ghost a little bit sympathetic, or you can have the hero go up against the ghost. This is the very American way of making these movies, by the way. And in this case, the yeah. ghost actually sort of becomes sympathetic, but, but until you really know what's really going on, it's terrifying. Yeah. So that was my first experience that I remember being truly afraid of anything. Like, but was it afraid, actually afraid, you wanted to run away from it, sort of afraid, or afraid, holy crap, I gotta get more of that? At the time, it was I want to run away, but I was paralyzed on the couch okay. watching it. And I how old were you? Away. Oh, God. I couldn't have been older than 10 or 11. Okay. Um, so that was the first time I re- – and, and then after that, they did uh, – back in the 80s, I don't know if you remember this or not, but they did some reboots. They did a reboot of the old Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and they did yes. a reboot of The Twilight Zone. Yes, um, which was not as good. No, no. I mean, how could it be? The original Twilight Zone is one of the best TV shows ever made. I mean, we have actually gone back recently and watched a few of the old original mm-hmm. Twilight Zones, and they're they're so dated at this point. Some of that them. it's a little bit hard. Not like just from effects or whatever, because that right. doesn't really bother me. I know what I'm getting right. into with that, but just the kind of the heavy-handed way many of the messages are put into the show, sure. which didn't seem heavy-handed at the time. Right. But, but now... The beautiful thing about a show like The Twilight Zone is since it's an anthology series and every episode is written and directed by someone else, Yes, um, that is true for some of those episodes and totally not true for the others. The best episode of The Twilight Zone, my favorite, my personal favorite episode, and you may have seen this one, you may not have, is the Bomb Shelter episode. Did you ever see that one? Yes, yes. Love that episode. And it has nothing supernatural going on. There's no real twist. If you listening don't know what I'm talking about, there's an episode, you know, at the height of the nuclear scare. Um, this one family is the only family in town that has a bomb shelter in their house. And the air raid sirens go off. And so people start freaking out because they think it's coming. They think, you know, nuclear devastation is on its way. And so it basically shows all these people who you spent the first few minutes of the episode getting to know uh, this man is just trying to get his family into the bomb shelter, but all the other neighbors come in and want to get in there too. Well, he only has enough food for him and his family. So by the time the episode's almost over, these people are at each other's throats and they'd previously been friends, neighbors, whatever, and they're ready to kill each other. And then it turns out that it was just a drill. 
And now they have to go back to life after seeing that awful side of each other. I thought it was wonderful. And then there are the straight up like horror episodes. Did you ever see the Talking Tina episode? Not that I recall. Is that like a creepy doll episode? Yes. Yeah. One of the first examples that I can remember of creepy doll in live action anything <clears throat> starring Telly Savalas. <laughs> I'm Kojak. You're not going to bring me down, doll. <laughs> That's him sucking on his dum-dum. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um, he plays just a horrible stepfather. And just he's got a he's got a stepdaughter and a wife and he's just a bastard of a man. Okay. And you know, one thing you can always depend on with the Twilight Zone is if you're an asshole, you will get your comeuppance. Yes. <laughs> it's like um, Chris Hardwick actually has a really funny thing on his um comedy album about the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. How basically all of them can be summed up with the phrase, nice try, asshole. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And she gets one of those, one of the first, I guess, pull string dolls, which is basically, you know, because obviously they didn't have the technology back then to make the mouths move with any sort of articulation. Right. It was just like a porcelain, yep. not porcelain, but, you know, one of those old plastic Cupid doll type things with a pull string on it. And when you pull the string, it said, I'm talking Tina and I love you. And she gets it okay. for her birthday and he's just a bastard. And that is, you know, it's kind of the problem with some of the old EC comics, too, is that the evil people have no dimensions. They're just evil. Yep, they're just bad. They kick puppies. <laughs> yeah, and you kind yep. of look at it like, how did this woman ever marry this guy? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> but I think that's on purpose so that you can really relish when they get fucked over. Um, yep. and Let's try, asshole. Yeah, exactly. And it's a 30-minute show. So yep. <laughs> you know, you, how much character development can you get in that time? Not a ton. So, you know, he's just a mean man and he yells at her on her birthday or something like that. And she leaves the doll on the table and he just, you know, he does that thing that nobody would really do. He picks it up and he's like, what a stupid thing. And then he pulls the string and it's like, I'm talking Tina and I love you. And he starts being kind of an asshole to the doll. You're dumb. This is such a stupid toy or something like that. And then he pulls it again and she says, I'm talking Tina and I wouldn't be that way if I were you. He's like, huh? And then he pulls the, the string, <laughs> and then he pulls the string again, and she goes. And this I thought was pretty, pretty creepy for the time, especially. She goes, "I'm talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you." <laughs> <laughs> that is creepy. And eventually, she does. Nice but, try, asshole. Again, again, it's what you don't see, and this was probably just a lack of the effectability. But you never saw her like pull a Chucky and start running around, right? doing evil things which you know i loved chucky as a character i've never been afraid of chucky because he is a midget with a tiny little knife (laughs) and i don't care if brad dorif can sound really mean there are some scenes in the first chucky movie especially because the later ones did much more tongue-in-cheek but in the first chucky movie when he attacks and they get those big cutaway shots that shows someone with a a little doll flailing its legs wildly clutching to the back of their shoulders I'm sorry that's just not scary no but I do remember trying to get through an episode of the new Alfred Hitchcock Presents and it was the classic episode of the guy with the lighter who bets his pinky finger do you remember this oh they spoofed it in four rooms they spoofed it in four rooms that's exactly what I was getting ready to say yeah he has a lighter this old man likes his his big lighter and bets him that it won't light 10 times in a row and the guy takes the bet and the old man's like but there's a catch if it does i'll give you a ton of money if it doesn't i get to cut off your pinky finger 
So that's the whole setup to the episode is he's trying to figure yep. out whether he wants to take this bet and he really needs the money. And finally he does. And they get to the end of the episode and they did a pretty good job. I remember as a kid anyway of setting up the tension because they really go through all 10 clicks of the line. Yeah. And he's got his hand tied down with his pinky finger sticking out over a bucket. And the guy's got a meat cleaver in his hand. And on the very 10th try, it starts and then somebody opens the door and the flame goes out. And you see in slow motion the cleaver coming down. And I had to turn it off at that point as a kid. Okay. I couldn't handle it. So I don't know when I decided, you know what? No, I'm all in. I'm going to do this. Because I always did like getting a chill but I think it was the gore I couldn't handle for a long time. Okay. You saw the original Poltergeist? I uh, don't think I ever actually did, no. Really? Uh-uh. That movie's rated PG. Did you know that? I didn't. It's rated PG. I'm pretty sure it was before PG-13 came out. And there is a scene where a man basically rips his own flesh off of his skull. Uh-huh. And then it turns out that he was the ghosts were playing with his mind and he didn't really do it. I remember watching that scene as a kid and going like, oh, I can't look. And then all of a sudden, I just stopped caring about gore and just wanted the scare. And when I go into something, I go all in. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't just want to occasionally watch a horror movie. I want to watch them all the time and I want to draw pictures of them and I want to celebrate the darkness. Ah! <laughs> I used to get an allowance of $10 a week and I would insist that my mom take me to a video rental store. Now, a video rental store, kids. Yes, children. <laughs> Listen up, pay attention. In the before time. <laughs> right. Before the coming of the age of the internet. Uh, you actually had to physically own a movie. Now, you remember what a huge deal that was. Yes. Like, buying a movie used to be a big deal. Yeah. Like, you had to love a movie to own it. Yeah. There were these stores that would let you borrow them. It's kind of like a library filled like with library. books. Now, books, children, are these things. No, no, it's more like Netflix. It's just you had to physically go to the place. Yes. And pick up the thing and then physically bring it back to your house instead of just having them send it to and you, you every two days. you paying the video store $10 a month to get these You were paying them $10 a movie. Right. Well, in this case, back in the day, it was $3 a movie. And I know that okay. because every Friday I would take my mom, make my mom take me down to the video store. And this shows you how antisocial and lonely I was. And I would rent three horror movies and then spend the last dollar on candy. Nice. And I would just spend the rest of the weekend watching them. That's how I saw all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the Friday the 13th movies, the Halloween movies, the Hellraiser movies, Pumpkinhead, you know, all that stuff. That's how I saw mm -hmm. those movies. And so that was when I was in. Um, one year for Christmas, my mother got me the subscription to the Stephen King Video Library. Ooh. Where you would get a new Stephen King movie mailed to you every month, starting with The Shining Oh. Shining creeped you out, didn't it? Uh, Have you seen The Shining? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. I've actually seen quite a few Stephen King things. Yes. And, you know, and they the do. The only Stephen King thing that, that actually scared me, like well, that I was actually af afraid of, like the way I am with most horror, mm -hmm. it was it. Oh, yeah. The book, uh, the movie, does not hold kind up. of because Tim Curry is 
just he's so he's amazing. Great. But the movie itself was really meh, not it's not great. Good. Um, it's not good. But the book terrified me. Yeah, um, definitely. I only finally read that book recently and didn't really even read it. It was an audio book. Okay. Um, it's long. Yes, it is. It's a brick of a book. Yeah, but it is basically two books in one. It is basically yes. you know the past and the and and the present. And he could have easily split that into two novels, but I do like the sort of going back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. I will say spoilers for anyone who's never read the book for it. The big climactic scene for the children, where they all figure out for some odd reason that they have to have sex. Do you remember this? Yeah. That was... Because these kids are, what, 11, 12 at this point? Uh, yes, the age I was when I read it. Yeah. And it was kind of like... I don't know, it's so funny that you can have a book full of dark things and people getting killed and disem- dismemberments and all this other stuff. But for me, the moment where I was just like, ew, was the gangbang... <laughs> This is the only way I could call it. The sewer yep. gangbang. Yeah. Which is such an odd thing to do. And to this day, I still don't get why. Like, why was that even necessary? Uh, I don't know, because he's Stephen King. Yeah. And Stephen King himself has admitted that he never knows the ending to his books when he starts writing them. Which is why the endings to his books are always terrible. Almost always. Uh, the Shining had a good ending, the book. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of Cujo. I thought Cujo had a solid ending. Uh, I never read or saw Cujo. Uh, I mean, it will. So I don't know how it ends. It will make you scared of St. Bernard's. Mm. I mean, you look at a St. Bernard, and and that's that is one thing that I think Stephen King does do very well is he sort of pulls back the veil of suburbia and really points at some dark horrible things like anybody that can take that that idea and make you know nobody would ever think of saint bernard scary it's beethoven right and beethoven's second and beethoven's third (laughs) and beethoven's let's make beethoven have puppies yeah um and beethoven's wasn't charles groden in this movie once (laughs) right um anyway they're adorable dogs I love St. Bernard's, but yeah. you look at a St. Bernard and how big it is. If that thing decided to turn evil and you had no effective way of defending yourself, you'd be screwed. If you were stuck in a situation with a St. Bernard that wanted to kill you and you didn't have a gun or a knife, you would be dead. And to be totally honest, that's the way it is with most dogs because they're big and vicious, can be. Yep. But St. Bernard's are massive animals. They just happen to be very gentle. And I would own a Saint in a heartbeat. I don't I don't think anyway that it would actually change the way I feel because I've seen parts of Cujo. Right. I know what it is about. Right. Like it's not a secret. Um, and it's not like he turns the dog evil in some sort of weird, unrealistic way. The dog's rabid. And yeah. that could happen to anyone's dog. Yeah. And I've been around big dogs, and I love big dogs. I do too. And they've never bothered me. No, not at all. Like, I, I don't. I the don't fact get... that they could become rabid or whatever and just completely crush me. Just right. They could. There's not really anything I do about that. 
Well, because it's rare, too. It's yeah. very rare. And usually you see the signs before the dog becomes dangerous to you. Yes. But, yes, you know, that's why I think it was effective is, you know, it didn't make me scared of St. Bernard's. In fact, you get desensitized. Like, I, I hate it when people accuse horror movies of desensitizing people to real world violence because it doesn't. I don't like watching real world violence, but it does desensitize you to movie violence. Sure. Um, it's like with anything. The first time you experience something, it's either the best or the worst thing ever. And then the more it happens, the more you get used to it. So the first time you get terrified by a horror movie, if you start watching them again and again and again, you're going to see all the tricks before they happen. You're going to know where a movie is going. It's going to take a lot for that movie to scare you. Cujo never scared me. I just thought it was a good story and he ended it well, which is unfortunately rare for Stephen King. (laughs) Um, I also have learned from my love of Stephen King that he should not write his own movies. Correct. Um, For some reason, Stephen King's characters, when you read them on the page, seem three-dimensional, believable people. Absolutely. And then he can write the exact same characters into a screenplay, and they seem like the most flat, stereotypical, ridiculous characters you've ever seen. Yep. And they just say one dumb thing after another. Yep. But I did get to see, with my library, with my Stephen King library, The Shining, the movie, which... You know, talk about kid ghosts. It's got two of the best kid ghosts ever caught on film. Um, Christine, Pet Cemetery. Uh, what else? There were six movies. The Dead Zone. Okay. Um, which is, I think, one of his best movies and a, a kind of an underrated one. Um, I'll think of the other. Carrie, obviously. Okay. Uh, maybe it was only five because I can't remember the last one. Either way, so I got to see, I, that's what brought me into the world of Stephen King. And at this point, I was full on. I love horror, and some of it was for the shock value. One of my favorite memories: <laughs> Christmas Day, <clears throat> I get my first movie in the series. Well, we had already gotten it in the mail because Mom had already ordered the thing, and she, The Shining, came first. I'd never seen The Shining. So she wrapped it up, she put it under the tree, and that was the present I got. And then she said, this is one of the first of six movies you're going to get. Yay. Yay. And I was, you know, at this point, starting to become a disaffected teenager. So I was like, yeah, whatever. But I loved it. And um, I started watching it. Now we had some friends come over for Christmas. And they were all in the kitchen eating. And if you remember the scene where Scatman Crothers dies. Yes. Jack Nicholson wheels around, spoilers for The Shining, but Jack Nicholson (laughs) wheels around a a post with an axe and gets Scatman Crothers right in the heart. Scatman Crothers died. Uh, My mother was walking into the living room with a plate full of food (laughs) right at the moment when Jack Nicholson screams and wheels around that post with that axe. And her eyes met the TV right as that axe was hitting Scatman Crothers in the chest and blood was going everywhere. Okay. I just remember her going, oh, God, and literally running out of the room. <laughs> Which, that's part of the pleasure of horror movies, too. If you're a bit of a sadist, if you have any sort of mean streak in you at all, seeing someone get scared is one of the most fun things that you can do. Okay. And so I think horror movies are also part of a rebellion that I've just never lost because I've never been an extremely rebellious guy. I wanted to be. I dressed in black. I wanted to be, you know, because I wasn't accepted. I wasn't popular. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be the most unpopular me I can be. And I, That'll you know, show them. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, it worked to a certain extent. Yep. Once I went all goth, well, not goth, but once I went all metal and I was, you know, to be totally honest, I was like halfway between metal and goth. Okay. Um, kids, other kids in high school were afraid of me, and I loved that. It was almost like I was getting some of that control back that I'd lost. Sure, absolutely. By being one of the unpopular kids. So I think that's also part of the pleasure of a horror movie is that it might scare you, but you know it'll scare somebody else. <laughs> and you want people to think you're dark and twisted, so you want people to know how much you love seeing people die and gore and blood. Well, and I think that some of it is also more empathetic than that in that it's this scares me. Right. And if I'm here with you, we share that together. Absolutely. Like, this is something that we can experience Together, as opposed to all by ourselves. Absolutely. Going and you're actually, and alone. you're also feeling something. And this is the yeah. mistake a lot of people make about horror movies, especially there. There was a huge controversy about the slasher movies of the '80s. Now, I've never been a huge slasher movie guy, right? But there were a lot of critics that came out and bashed a lot of them for being misogynist, for being just a vehicle for sick, depraved people to show women being tortured in various ways and you know to be totally honest the appeal of the slasher movie is the creativity of the kills yeah but the the one person in every slasher movie in the 80s that almost always wins is the virginal girl yeah she gets tortured but she also vanquishes gets the away evil. yeah and so there is a lot of other people have looked at them as this is sort of a woman's empowerment thing. I, I would personally disagree because simply because the trope is so nearly 100% exactly that virginal girl. If you are right. pure and quote unquote right. good because you have, you know, whatever, preserved yourself for the knight in shining armor your prince charming or whatever stupid crap then you can actually vanquish evil because you are good oh sure and the, the way that we indicate that you are good is that you haven't had sex yet like but really? even the guys who are sexually active get killed as well so it's not necessarily a if you're a sexual woman you will suffer it's if you're a sexual person you'll suffer which you know i get that whole underpinning of anti-sexuality which is really not what they're about at all but um there is still a, a woman because the woman is almost always the victor mm -hmm. there is an aspect of female empowerment in there if you want to get deep down psychological with it to be totally honest the truth was halloween had a formula which was really truly the first you know quote-unquote stalker slasher right. flick slasher other than movie. maybe psycho well, but that was different. It was different. I mean, Halloween was the one where there was actually an unstoppable killing machine that was stalking yes. young women. And uh, it established a formula. It was successful. So then every movie had to have that same formula. Yep. I don't think the people making the movies were going, hmm, what are the psychological underpinnings of Valentine's Day? <laughs> right. And plus, was, I mean, girls scream better than guys do. Also, I mean, that, very true. That's and just a mechanical thing. Like, we can just scream. Those B-movie screamers are prized for that ability, can, and can, none of them are dudes. Can we try something real quick? What? Um, I hope this doesn't blow out either of our speakers. Can I hear your best... Uh, uh, not a chance. ...blood-curdling horror scream? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Z is behind me working, and 
I've got sleeping cats and a dog who will start to bark. No, I'm not going to do a scream for you. All right, fine. But one of these days. But yeah, you know, I, I think, but also, again, it goes back to that whole thing of, are we blaming the movies for the failures of our society? Because another part, if you're, there's also something very cathartic about watching a horror movie. You're getting out a lot of negative emotion by watching these things happen. And also, if a horror movie scares you, then you have empathy to the characters in that movie. That's correct. That's the only reason you're afraid. You're not afraid it's going to happen to you because you're afraid your it's going rational to mind to is still saying, this isn't happening to me. This situation I'm is safe terrible. in my living room or whatever. Right. Yeah. But you're afraid of what's happening to the people. So can I kind of nerd out on horror movies? Yes, please. Like, you can geek out on them for me because you are a horror movie geek, but I'm going to nerd them for you. So there's been actually a lot of study done about why people like horror movies because it seems very counterintuitive that people actually like to be scared. Right. But people who really like horror movies, they aren't not scared by them. They are scared by them, and that is exactly what they like about it. Yes. So the studies, there are a lot of studies about why do people like to be afraid because fear is meant to tell us something is wrong. Right. And if you are actively seeking out things that tell you something is wrong, something must be wrong with you. (laughs) As a horror movie fan in my life, I do not actively seek out things that are wrong because you want to avoid those things. Exactly. Because those are things that are wrong. (laughs) It's very self-explanatory. Yes. But horror movie fans will do that specifically with horror movies um, or books or you know, things that will scare them in a controlled manner. Right. So there are a bunch of different theories as to why that happens. Um, one of them kind of, I think the longest one, I think it's called the excitation transfer. Okay. Uh, basically, it's not exactly about how you feel while you're watching it. It's about right. what lingers when the movie is over. Absolutely. So because your adrenaline gets heightened while you're watching yes. it and you have a bunch of fear responses, your heartbeat elevates, your your blood's pumping. It's psychological it's, arousal. It's the same and thing that as remains. a cutter. Why does someone yeah, cut to kind feel of, something? Yes. And that remains. So when you're watching it, whatever is happening around the time that you're watching the movie is heightened. Yes. So if you're watching horror movies and you are safe in your house and your mom does something funny because she comes right. in and screams, oh my God, and runs out, that's hilarious. Right. And you register that hilarity on yes. a much higher level because you're psychological arousal level is high if you are a Uh, disaffected person if you are a a member and and let's be honest most true horror movie fans and i don't mean the casual fan most people will go see a horror movie once a year in a theater but for people to watch them regularly most of those people have a history of sort of being rejected by society of being disaffected youth of feeling anyway ostracized and not only are they finding something where they can release those negative emotions without actually hurting anyone they're also finding a community of like-minded people that most horror fans are pretty cool, pretty nice, pretty sweet people. Sure. And a lot of them very intelligent. The people that make those movies are very intelligent. And there's a social consciousness, too. Because you go back – and were you, were you done with that? I didn't want to interrupt you and, and cut you off if you No, were. there are a couple other things uh, that people have come up with as to why people like it. horror movies. Um, some people, not just for the kind of – excitation transfer um it's just that some people just like the actual adrenaline rush so much like people who like bungee jumping or who 
are like high-powered workers with that adrenaline rush all by itself. Um, that speaks to some people on a level that doesn't speak to a lot more people. I, I do agree with that. Uh, they these are the kinds of people who prefer roller coasters. Whereas, like, I'm not a huge fan of roller coasters. Oh, and you're I'm not? also not a huge fan of fear of scary movies. Mm-mm. I enjoy roller coasters. Um, I don't. I haven't ridden one in a while. Uh, I do have some motion sickness problems. But again, it's like you said, it's a way of feeling an adrenaline rush in a safe environment. A horror, watching a horror movie is safer than a roller coaster because you're watching it in the safety of your own home. Yep. Uh, a lot of that. So the. The safety in your own home part is kind of a big deal about other studies is that da- we're really keen to notice danger. Like right. you get scared by something because something is wrong. And that's deep down in your amygdala. Like you don't process that. Right. That just happens. And so we're able to notice when things are out of place. When danger is nearby, we notice them because something has changed in our surroundings. Right. So, horror movies have things in them that are dangerous. They are things we don't see every day, and they immediately will draw attention from the back of your brain. Yes. And some, some people are able to appreciate the, the novelty, effectively, mm-hmm. of seeing something they don't see all the time. Right over the negative emotion that is inspired by whatever it is that they're seeing. Yeah. Some people will just have, like, won't be able to get past, oh, God, that's awful. Right. The awful is worse than the, oh, that's not something you see every day. That's interesting or whatever. Right. And all this happens way in the back. You're not processing oh, any sure. of that. But a lot of it, I think, happens more up front than you think. Because I, I totally agree with everything you just said. But I also think that there are other levels to it, too, why horror movie fans like horror movies. Um, first off, I haven't been truly scared of a horror by a horror movie in a long time, but I still mm-hmm. enjoy watching them. And I usually put horror movies into two categories. The scary, the ones that I'm expecting to scare me are the ones that I'm watching just for fun. I've okay. never had a Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, or Friday the 13th movie scare me. Okay. But I watch them for the sheer ludicrous enjoyment of the whole thing. Entertainment? Oh, there's huge entertainment value in how silly and ridiculous and over-the-top those movies are. Sure. There's also an appreciation of the skill involved. One of the reasons, I think, that the kills in some of those movies are so entertaining is because there's a creativity, especially in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, there's a creativity that goes along with that. There's also an appreciation of the skill it takes to put that stuff together. Yes. The makeup artists. You Absolutely. Know. Like the mechanical aspects of... Oh, wow. Or the technical aspects of horror movies are incredible to me yes go back and watch john carpenter's the thing it's special effects almost all still hold up and they're amazing yes wow i love that have you ever seen john carpenter's the thing nope okay this is the thing about well and i'll get to that in a second about the effects and everything and how great they are but another level is the movies that have something to say because some movies are just viscerally terrifying some movies are are scary because they're peeling back something that's going on in the real world and showing it to you in a different way. Yes, it's hitting absolutely. an area of your subconscious that is warning you about something that's going on in your world. Almost all of David Cronenberg's movies, for example, are about the he- people being afraid of their own bodies. 
Okay. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. It, it, it seemed like a real simple thing. A guy hunts you in your dreams. But what is it about really? It's about your parents lying to you. It's about your parents doing something outside the law. And even though they felt justified by it, they had to cover it up. A lot of those filmmakers, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, those guys were flower children in the 60s. And they, George Romero, who's my favorite, Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. George Romero's Dawn of the Dead is my favorite movie, period. Not just our movie, but favorite movie, period. Okay. Because it is entertaining. It's well done. It's a rebellious movie because he made it on his own dime, pretty much. Mm-hmm. The acting is good. The effects are great. There's a lot of gore. <laughs> and zombies are kind of creepy. But it's also, you see zombies walking around a shopping mall. At the height of, you know, the beginning of the Reagan era, the beginning of when consumerism really became, was really going to another level where all these guys came from this generation of, you know what, free love is going to take over the world. Materialism is going to go away. We're going to bring the soldiers back from Vietnam. And none of that happened. It all failed. So they were angry and they decided to make angry movies with an underpinning of... I'm also saying something else. Dawn of the Dead is basically saying consumerism is making you a mindless vessel. Because the zombies don't come to the mall to eat people. There are people in the mall, but when they first get there, the zombies don't even know they're there. They're just wandering around the mall. Because that's mm-hmm. what they did in life. That's how important the mall had become to them. So when you look at it that way, it's also saying it also hits you viscerally because that's me. Um, I go to did the Did you know that there is a correlation between political power structure at the time in the U.S. and whether zombies or vampires are more popular? I did not, but please uh, go into more detail about that. Uh, this was something that came out a couple years ago, actually, that somebody, I don't even remember who anymore, made a graph Okay. Of the popularity of zombie versus vampire. Okay. Uh, dependent on who was president. Really? And when a Republican is president, it's zombies are more popular. Oh, zombies are more popular because zombies are hugely yes. popular now and we've got a Democrat in the White House. When it's a Democrat, it's, it's largely vampires. That's funny. Uh, this, like, just recently, that has apparently not been true. But right, up until, right, right. like, 2009... Uh, it was pretty much exactly that every time. Well, and also you've seen a lot of different versions, untraditional versions of zombies in the past few years. And again, you can look at the surface aspect. You know, vampires, the original Dracula, is not just about a vampire. It's about sexuality. And it's about people being afraid or disgusted by sexuality. Transfusion of disease. Because a vampire bites you, your blood mixes with his blood, you become a vampire. In the 70s, you know, not when, obviously... Bella Lugosi's Dracula came out, but when the Hammer films with Christopher Lee started getting really popular, and they were more bloody, and they were sexier, and, you know, this is at the height of, you know, the sex era, 70s, where people were, like, taking free love and making it all about just having sex. Yep. And then the STDs started breaking out, you know, it, it, when a horror movie also has something else to say, the Babadook, I just saw the Babadook recently, and I was very excited to see it because I heard how scary it was. Um, I'm going to okay. tell you right now, it did not scare me okay. much, but it is a very good movie because it's not just a horror movie. It's a horror movie about something else, and it's a horror movie about spoilers, 
mm-hmm. dealing with depression. Okay. The Baba Duke, because I don't know if you have any plans to see the movie. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yo, you haven't heard of Baba Duke? Nope. Came out a few months ago and was very. Uh, I don't know how much of a hit it was in theaters, but critics were just going gaga over this thing. Okay. And it's basically this single widowed woman and her son. Um, he's a very high maintenance child, and uh, she's still not over her husband's death. And she reads him nursery rhyme books every night, and she just happens to find this one called The Baba Duke. Okay. And it basically is the story about how the Baba Duke is going. Once you read the book, the Baba Duke is going to come and get you. Okay. And he's this shadowy guy with long, like, scissor fingers. And a top hat. He just imagine the shadow of Jack the Ripper with knife hands. Okay. Pretty creepy, right? Yeah. And he comes after her. But what you learn throughout the movie is that it's all because she's not over her husband yet. The death of her husband threw her into a depression she can't get out of. Okay. And that's what he really represents. So that mm-hmm. hits you on both a sort of jump level scare, but also a deeper, more visceral level. Sure. And zombies are the same way, really, when done well. I mean, what is a zombie other than just the fear of death? Or you look at something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which zombies could absolutely be the same allegory, is the fear of losing yourself and just becoming one of the masses. Right. Okay. So the way that the zombie versus vampires thing breaks down, mm-hmm. you ju- you totally just nailed like the whole thing about vampires. Okay. Uh, and you are about to nail the whole thing about zombies. I'm sure. Uh, when when zombies are popular because a Republican is in office. Right. Which is a very you know classic hardcore conservative. Not exactly the most sexually open person in the world. <laughs> The le- so they become more popular because it is a, a, a backlash response to that right. overall cultural phenomenon of having a conservative in power. Right. So the left fears zombies because they are mindless consumers. Right. Uh, they they want to get rid of nonconformity. Right. Like all zombies are the same. They're yes. all zombies. Yes. They're brainless, mindless. They can't think for themselves. Except they, for Bub in Day of the Dead, who was a nice right, one. <laughs> sure, and because of the things that zom- that those things that zombies represent and that are represented in zombies, they become more popular when a conservative is in power as a backlash against that, right? To show us the public or whatever that this is what you have. You have this mindless consumerist, yes, conformist brainless, idiotic, bumbling <laughs> populace. And this is coming from a libertarian, by the way. Just so you guys know. You're a pretty staunch libertarian, correct? Um, it would say so on a graph, yeah. Okay. But you're also <laughs> a very... Um, you believe in a lot of individual freedoms, especially socially, maybe even more so than you care about who's right economically. Would I be right about that? Anymore. I, I believe that the technical term for what I have kind of evolved into is a leftist libertarian. Okay. I can get behind that. Um, 
which and I don't I don't like the label anymore. I used no, to be I proud mean, of that. I don't anymore. Call uh, yourself an independent like everyone else does, even though yeah. half independents vote straight Republican tickets and half yeah, independents should... vote straight Democratic tickets. Um, but I also, think if I carry this is allegory metaphor through that you're talking about, then what makes vampires more popular when a liberal is president is the conservatives being afraid of afraid. loosened up morals. Yes, they're immoral. They're highly sexual. They're yes. foreign. They're um, they represent <laughs> parasitic, um, you know, the blood sucking. What are you doing? I'm sitting at the border waiting for them damn bloodbacks. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's that's really cool, and it just goes to show you that there are so many different ways a horror movie can get to you, and it can be just pure ridiculous, stupid fun. Evil Dead yeah. Two was not trying to say anything. It was trying to say, let's beat the shit out of Bruce Campbell as much as we possibly can. And it's a yeah. brilliantly done movie, and it's hysterical, it's, still creepy. It's very funny. But it's a great movie. It is. It is a really great movie. And, you know, Army of Darkness was a much more sanitized version of that. They they hit the comedy up way more than the gore or the horror, but it's an hysterical movie. It is. So, you know... There's so many different reasons to love horror movies, and I've always felt like I'm disappointed if a horror movie doesn't scare me. I'm glad I liked The Babadook. I was a little bit disappointed it didn't scare me because I'd heard it was terrifying. Um, now, this new movie that just came out like a month ago, It Follows, is supposed to be very, very good, and obviously an allegory about uh, STDs and not and trust, you know, things like that. But then what sometimes is it, called? it, it follows. follows. Yeah. If you're not keeping up with horror movies, you may not have heard of it. But again, it was like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Did pretty well in the theaters for a low-budget horror movie. Okay. So th those things, you know, it all just wraps up together to form where I think I'm coming from now. Where, yes, I do like being scared of something I can control. I don't like being afraid in life. I, and I also think that the other aspect of horror movies is society is basically a structure where you cannot express yourself ever in a negative way. There will always be a punishment for it. You lose your job. You uh, get sus you know suspended from school. You uh, are ostracized if you're an if you have anger problems. And you know that is sort of a reversal of the idea of living a full life and being able to express yourself fully is that we now have all these constructs around us that say you have to act a certain way. And I think what normally happens is then people take a lot of negative feelings and emotions, sexuality included. How many people do you know out there that probably have some weird kink or what would be considered weird a sexual thing that they want to try, but they can't because they Most. have to abide by this monogamous marriage or Most. or their religion or whatever. And Most. people hold that shit inside. They bury it. And if it doesn't come out in a healthy way, it comes out in an unhealthy way. And to yep. me, a horror movie is a way to release those things in a healthy way. A good scream for a, a societally accepted reason gets those things out and it relieves some of that pressure along with the stuff you talked about along with the adrenaline rush along with that sense of connecting with someone because mm -hmm. being afraid is not something you're supposed to be able to 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 express all the time but 
to re- to release that fear in someone else. Maybe that's why I get off on it. Maybe I'm a more compassionate person than I thought, or maybe I'm a complete sadist. I don't know. <laughs> but seeing someone get scared or scaring someone myself, it's one of the best feelings. And it makes me laugh so hard every time. Um, I love showing people horror movies. Now, there's a certain level of trauma I don't want to inflict. I have shown people movies where their reactions once the movie was over, I kind of felt bad because I felt like I went too far. But as long as it's like a really good moment where there's a good gasp or a good scream or, you know, once it's over, they're like, please turn all the lights on. Then, yeah, or like after I watched this, see, this is how, this is how not okay with scary movies I am. We watched Scream in the theater. Yeah. And I had to pee because we were at a movie theater and when you're done, you have to pee. I yeah. had to pee. We were at the last showing. Theater was empty when we yeah. got out. Had to pee. Went to the bathroom and it was those rows of stalls. Yes. And I just held it. I was like, nope, <laughs> not going in there. Because so, the, the one scene in Scream where the dude is standing on the toilet or whatever. Yes. yes. And his foot comes down. I'm like, hmm. I'm alone in a row of toilet cubicles. I'm leaving. And that is what is beautiful about a well-done horror movie. Uh, I I will, and I'll sit there and tell you right now, Scream did not scare me. Oh, Um, I'm sure it didn't. I thought the first few minutes of it were really well done. And I mean, Scream did that thing that Psycho did so well is that you see Drew Barrymore in a movie and you go, oh, she'll be fine. Because it's Drew Barrymore. She's the blonde, cute, sweet girl whatever five yeah. minutes into the movie she's skewered and hanging from the tree and hanging from the tree and that is a very smart thing to do because as a horror yeah. movie fan anytime a horror movie kills a child or a dog yes. i'm all i'm with it from then on and not because i enjoy seeing bad things happen to a child no, but it's subversive it subverts your expectations yes. of what you're going to see exactly yeah, because absolutely. usually and one of the bad things about formulas and now as we get to the end of this discussion i will tell you the negatives about horror movies but first i want to ask you something what is the mm-hmm. scariest movie you've ever seen um like the one that lingered the longest or the one that like yeah, sure. scared me the most that's at the, the other time. Thing is, that's the other thing is there's a difference between a movie that makes you scream a lot as opposed to a movie you can't shake off after it's done. I've seen movies where I didn't gasp or scream once that unsettled me. And that's what I think is better. You get unsettled by a movie to where you're walking out of the theater in the broad daylight and you still can't get it out of your head. Because it's easier to get somebody to jump at something than it is to show them something where after it's over, they're not comfortable anymore. I, horror movies linger with me for okay, well, a what, while. What, what lingered the most? <sighs> That's a really good question. Well, think about it. I remember, I remember Scream, strangely, yeah. even though it wasn't the scariest movie I'd ever seen. But it was effective. Like, at all. But the... The not jump scares and right. the not kind of overall psychological ishness of it, neither of those things were particularly effective. It was the right. technical shots of the things that you knew were coming. Well, and, and again, uh, one of my favorite movie critics, his name is Mark Kermode, which is a very okay. unfortunate name for a movie critic or a critic <laughs> of any kind. But he's an English guy and he loves horror movies and he loved the first Scream movie. And what we have forgotten about that movie now that the whole ghost face costume is so normal is the f- 
and I, this is a quote. I saw him say this. We're so used to it now. What we've forgotten is the first time you saw that ghost costume. It was creepy. It was creepy. So, well, and I think, and I don't know if this is true or not, or if this is going to sound really stupidly elitist or whatever, but I think for anybody who knows anything about art, mm-hmm. uh, the scream mask in scream that bears the striking resemblance to the painting, the scream, the monk painting. Yeah. Uh, that's a really important painting and it, yes. And it's also it pretty lingers, disturbing. Yes, it lingers as well if you have studied it, it at all. Uh, it is a very good piece of art. And there's that something representation... About taking, there's something about taking the human form and just slightly changing it. Yeah, it's creepy. It's the uncanny it, valley almost. It's Or the kind of exact inverse of the uncanny valley. Right. It is disturbing. And so, yeah, that's absolutely true. It is. It was weird. And because the resemblance is deliberate and impossible to not see. Right. If you've ever seen the painting, you immediately see that. It's that all by itself was creepy. Yes. Um, but really it was it was like the I can't go to the bathroom. But also, like again, what worked in that movie, as much as people hate Jimmy Kennedy now, and unfortunately with a lot of good reason. There were a lot of likable characters in that movie. Scream was, a, I, I think still, Scream was a very good movie. It is. It's very technically sound. Yes. It, 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 it. Well written. Well written, funny, and, yes. and subversive, but not ridiculously so. Right. Because they were still in this slasher situation, which was life or death, and they were taking seriously. But they also very cleverly sort of, Played with all the formulas of the slasher genre, which yeah, it was by very the, meta in its approach yes, to the trope. By of the, the time horror the movie. first Scream movie came out, the slasher genre was basically looked at as dead. Because how yep. many times can you see the same thing over and over again? Right. And for a while in the eighties, every slasher movie, you know, once okay, once Halloween came out, then you have Friday the Thirteenth. Tell me why those movies are even called Friday the Thirteenth? I've seen them all. I have no idea. There's no good reason to call them Friday the 13th. Okay. But now it just became every movie has to be a holiday. There's Father's Day. There's Valentine's Day. There's prom night. You know, all these movies happened on a special night. Usually a holiday. Christmas. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Black Christmas. You know, (laughs) all these slasher movies that took these holidays and darkened them. And, you know, that was just because Halloween did it. And amazingly enough, it took until, you know, 79 for somebody to go, we should make a horror movie that takes place on Halloween. (laughs) Right. But this gets me into what I think are the negatives about horror movies, the things that they get wrong. First off, I've been harping a lot on American horror movies. The scariest movies I've seen, the movies that still get me, are the Asian horror movies and usually the ghost ones. Now, again, they, they have a formula, and I've gotten used to that formula now, but... Here are some of my big horror pet peeves, and then we'll close out this discussion and open our new segment. But thank you for humoring me. Um, (laughs) A, believability. You and I both are theater people. Mm -hmm. We both love movies, and we Mm -hmm. both know that for the most part, 99% of the time, Mm 
it doesn't matter what else is going on. If you don't believe in a world that's being created in front of you, it's not going to affect you. Correct. Um, The biggest mistakes horror movies make. And now you and I are both also sci-fi and fantasy fans where you go watch something like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's so much CGI in that movie, but you expect that from a movie like that because that movie is showing you a world that does not exist. Correct. A sci-fi movie, Star Wars, can get away with making a lot of things CGI, even though some people would say that maybe they went a little too far with CGI <laughs> environments. Um, but you can get away with CGI in a, in a science fiction movie because you're going to see aliens and you're going to see ships flying through space. And at this point, that's the best technology for that to be shown in a... Yeah, and because we're not going to put up with your um, dangling a tinfoil plate right. off a hanger. That's just right. not going to fly. Right. But the, that does not work in a horror movie, and I'll tell you why. Um, CGI should almost never be used in a horror movie because, again, along with sympathy for the characters, you have to believe that there is real jeopardy. Yes. That's why you're not scared by a guy in a suit if you can tell it's a guy in a suit because you know right. it's not a real monster. And obviously your conscious mind knows every time you see a horror movie it's not a real monster. But if it's done well for just that brief moment, you believe in the world that's created, you believe the characters are in real danger, and you believe that whatever's there with them could really harm them. And as yep. soon as CGI enters into the mix, you lose me. Almost always. Well, and I mean, there's a really good story uh, that isn't even about horror, but about that um, organic response mm-hmm. during The Departed. Okay. With Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, I love them. We're in a scene together, and they're talking, and Jack Nicholson pulls a gun on him. Mm-hmm. Is that in The Departed? Am I thinking of the right movie? No, no, you are. Okay. Uh, the gun wasn't a part of the scene. Really? They'd had to do it several times, and they just weren't getting the kind of back-and-forth response that they were really looking for. And Leonardo DiCaprio did not have any idea that Jack Nicholson had a gun. And at that point in the scene when he pulls the gun out, they're talking, and he just holds a gun on him. His reaction is absolutely organic. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, Jack Nicholson, who is the coolest guy in the room still, but also kind of terrifying. Has an element of danger. Always has, always will. He just pulled a gun on you, and he isn't supposed to do that. The script does not There was a Christopher Walken movie that. that happened in. Uh, an old, I can't remember which movie it was, but there was a great scene with Christopher Walken where the exact same thing happens, except I think he had been told the gun was loaded right okay. before they shot the scene. Perfect example of this. The first Alien movie, which I'm sure you've seen. Yes. The chestburster scene. One of the most famous scenes in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. And why does it work so well? A, it's all practical effects. And B, the actors knew something was going to happen. But they not what? didn't know exactly what. And yep. their reactions are beautiful. Doing that on stage is a terrible idea. Yes. <laughs> but doing that in a movie where you can cut, where you can edit the camera angles mm-hmm. and actually really capture the reaction but control it as yes. well yes. is perfect. Because then you actually get a real response yes. without losing the scene yes and had jack nicholson had a cgi gun and simply oh, yeah. pulled out I mean, his finger and pointed it there would some... have been no real reaction to that oh i'm sure there would have been a real reaction but not what the fuck's going on it would have been a huh 
Yeah. Why are you pointing at me? Like, okay, Leo, pretend there's a gun pointed at your face. Yeah, exactly. Well, the same You can't thing really this- pretend there's a gun. I don't care how good an actor you are. Right. <laughs> there is a difference between pre- believing that this dude is actually holding a gun on me yes. and having a dude suddenly and without warning pull an unexpected gun on me. Yes. Like, there is a big difference there. Yes. Uh, the same thing in The Descent. Have you seen The Descent? No. Oh, Carissa. <laughs> it's a great movie. And it is, again, a movie about other things. You could simply look at it as a movie where it's just a bunch of women stuck in a cave with monsters who kill most of the women in the group. Okay. But there's also an underlying theme through the movie of betrayal and friendship and trust and loss. The okay. women are all portrayed as real people as opposed to sex objects. Okay. And it's a very pro-feminine movie. However, the basic story is these five women go spelunking and get lost and go so deep into these caves, they discover a new race of creature, which are basically predatory man bats. Alrighty. Which sounds pretty silly. Meh. But the way these women were introduced to these creatures for the first time. I saw it behind the scenes. It's, it's great. Because most of the cave footage was done in a studio, which you would never know because it was shot so well. Half the okay. movie is about the fear of claustrophobia. Sure. There are moments where these women are going through these tunnels, and the tunnels are so narrow in these caves. And the camera's right there with them. And I watched it, and I'm not claustrophobic, but the whole time I was thinking, I'm having trouble breathing. Yeah. It was done so stuff well. Like, stuff like that, if it's done well, really affects me. Like, if anybody has to swim for a yes. long time, yes. I hold my breath. Yes. Like, any time a character's head goes underwater, I hold my breath. Yes. So if the scene goes on too long, I, I, have, to, I have to remind myself to, to breathe. breathe. Yeah. And it so, hurts to let the breath go. But it has to be well done. Just watching somebody go underwater isn't enough. Yeah. And this is exactly because I've seen movies with people in caves before. The Descent did it better than any other movie I've ever seen. So that's the first half of the movie. Then they discover they're also lost in these caves with monsters that want to eat them. Okay. Which is pretty terrifying. The way these women first saw one of these monsters was genius. Because what they did was they designed the monsters. They got some very limber athletic actors to wear these costumes. The women had never seen the costumes before. That's awesome. And they handed one of the women in this group a video camera a night with night vision on it. And all the lights in the studio were off. And they heard a noise. And so the footage from the movie, because it's not a found footage movie, but the footage from the movie then instantly shoots to what she's filming on her camera. Okay. And while the lights were out, they placed one of these actors in full monster getup behind one of the women. Okay. So that what you see in the movie is these women in the dark with that green, you know, night vision light going. And then the camera turns around to one of them and there's this creature standing right behind her. So the woman with the camera obviously screams, which causes all the other women to freak the fuck out and get the hell out of Dodge. It's a beautiful moment. That's brilliant. See, and like people bitch about it now, but that's what I really liked about the Blair Witch Project. Yes, I still love the Blair Witch Project. It. It scared the shit out of me. I don't know if you remember, but it, oh, it I do. terrified me. But that's because I think sometimes people expect the wrong things out of horror movies. People want jump scares. That's how they determine whether a movie is scary or not. But you tell me. There aren't many jump scares in the Blair Witch Project, but did no. it stay with you? Oh, God. Do you... <sighs> do you remember what you did to Mike. Heather? 
Heather. Do you remember what you did to Heather after we had seen that? Heather. And I threatened your balls if you ever did it to me. (laughs) Yes, I do. We were at the apartment and Heather went to the bathroom and you crept down the hall and did the little hands scraping on the door. Oh, did I? I don't remember that. You don't? Oh, God, you're such an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) You did the hands scraping on the door. Yeah. So it was like... (laughs) Yeah. And she screamed yeah. so loud from the bathroom. And, like, it was kind of funny when I was in the I was like, oh, that, uh-huh, because I know that it's you. I'm watching yeah. you do like, it. Ah, you stamp. Yeah. And then you came back out to the living room just dying. <laughs> and I was like, that's funny, but if you do that to me, I will cut your balls off in the well, night. Like, don't fucking do that shit to me. Well, and I didn't let her off the hook either because... I remember she said something about the movie not being that scary after we got out of the theater. I'm like, really? So her name is Heather. And if you've seen the Blair Witch Project, you know that one of the characters disappears halfway through the movie. And it's at night. It's all real locations. Again, a great example of what you don't see sometimes better than what you do. And all of a sudden, these two people who've lost their friend wake up in the middle of the night and can hear him way far away, somewhere in the woods, screaming in pain like something awful is happening to them. And he's just calling their names, Mike, Heather, Mike, Heather. And our friend's name was Heather. So she spent the night at the apartment. And I'm surprised she didn't sleep in bed with you, to be totally honest, because isn't that what chicks do? (laughs) (laughs) It would have weirded me out if one of my guy friends would have been like, Evan, I'm a little scared. Can I get in bed with you? (laughs) But um, Shane, our friend Shane, Evan, Evan, I'm terrified. I'll snuggle up with you. <laughs> but um, Heather decided she wanted to sleep in the living room on the couch, and she asked me if I would sleep in the living room with her. So, because as soon as the lights went out, and this tells you it's a good movie that got under your skin, it was still with her, and she couldn't yes. shake that feeling of hearing him off into the woods and just the end of that movie too if you haven't seen it we're not yeah. going to tell you what it is but it's one of the better endings in movie history I agree and uh, and again you never really see anything but it's effective um, so I decided that I would sleep on the floor in the living room with her so she wouldn't be scared and as soon as the lights were off I waited a couple of minutes and just <laughs> Mike Heather <laughs> like oh you'd better stop <laughs> Which just shows you that got under your skin. And I, I, modern movie audiences sometimes frustrate me because all they base a movie on is how many times they jump in a theater. I'm not saying that's not valid. I think I have an answer to your question as to what horror movie scared me the worst. Oh, good. We'll get to and, that in just a second once I get through okay. my bitch list. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what makes a movie scary. Because your friend jumps out of your closet, scares you for a second. Oh, it's great. Ha, 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 ha. You laugh about it. And that's a great thing. I'm not saying I love it. I love it. But a true movie that will get under your skin is something that I think is more effective. But to let it get under your skin, if the Blair Witch Project did not work for you most of the time, it's because you didn't let it work on you. You didn't let yourself get absorbed into the characters and the story and the movie. You went to it expecting tits and something jumping out at you every five seconds, which you will went make into you jump. it like like assholes go to mo- go to magic shows, right? Just to spoil it for themselves. Yes, 
Like, I'm going to find the ways that this isn't working. Yes. And they're expecting something traditional, which if you want to go, if you want to have every time you go see a movie, especially a horror movie, if you want the same thing you've seen a hundred other times to continue to happen, fine. But for somebody like me, I want something different. And that's why the Asian movies, when I first started watching them, worked so well is because they didn't have a typical beginning, middle, and an end. Usually in any horror movie, especially American horror movies, in the first five minutes, you know who's going to survive. Yeah. You know who's going to die. And you see the scares coming, even if they're timed just right and make you jump a little. With a lot of the, especially the ghost-oriented movies that I saw, um, they're based on a culture that we're unfamiliar with. Right. So they're not exactly... You don't know what to expect. Yeah. And they're not exactly linear stories. Some of those movies, even the ones that have a linear storyline, do such wonderful things with the supernatural because they also realize it's the supernatural. It can be anything. And one of my favorite movies I've seen in that genre does have a linear story. You do know who the hero is. Spoilers, but she does survive. But what happens in the middle, it's it's the eye, which they did a piss poor version of starring Jessica Alba. Um, but go okay. see the original Korean, The Eye, because it's about a woman who has an eye transplant and the eyes that she gets belong to someone who could see the dead. Oh, neat. So now, now she lost her eyesight when she was three. So she remembers some of what the real world looks like. But when she gets her bandages off for the first time, now she goes into the world not 100% sure who's real and who's not. A, obviously she doesn't think that she can see ghosts, but she can. And the beautiful thing about the movie is the ghosts are all different. Not just, you know, not just ghosts where like, you know, they died with us. They're different based on the way they died. They're just different. There's no explanation of it. There's no, so in that way, you don't know what's coming around the corner because some of the ghosts do look like just you or me and are just repeating the way they died over and over again. Okay. Some of the ghosts just look strange and, and they make no sense and they're just so, so unnatural, but still slightly human. And it's beautiful because. Again, as an audience member, it throws you off because you go, oh, I thought I knew what a ghost was in this movie. And then you start to think about it. They can be anything because spirits sure. can come in all shapes and sizes. And so that sort of getting away from formula is what I love. Sticking too closely to formula, that's what killed the slasher movies. Yeah. So again, so those things, CGI, sticking closely to the formula will kill a horror movie. Remakes, oh my God. There are exceptions to the rule. Like John Carpenter's The Thing, <laughs> which, you know, it used a lot of animatronic effects. Um, and the basic plot, because you remember the original thing was just, there's a monster here and he's killing us one by one and we got to find him. Sure. The twist in John Carpenter's version was that the thing is almost like a microbe that can take the shape and form of whatever it attaches itself to. It'll kill you and then look like you sound like you talk like you it can take any form it's a shapeshifter so the paranoia of these guys stranded in this place in the middle of the fucking you know antarctic there's nowhere to go they just have to because that's the other thing that a lot of horror movies you know like something like alien did so beautifully well is anytime you see a haunted house movie you watch it the whole time going just get out of the fucking house yes 
you can't just walk off the ship and alien. You can't just walk no. out of this place and the thing. You are trapped there. Yes. And the basic pl- point of the thing is that if you want to destroy the thing, you have to destroy every little piece of it. Okay. If it's taken the form of your best friend and you realize he's the thing, you can't cut off his head because every little part of it is a living thing. So at one point, somebody's head does get cut off and then it sprouts legs and crawls away like a spider. And to this day, it still works because the animatronics were so good. Okay. So those things and and animatronics are believable because they're physical. Yeah. You can touch I mean, them. as long as they're not like a tinfoil plate hanging from a hanger. Yes, exactly. You're really stuck on that. What movie did you see that involved that? No, just like the Plan old... Plan 9 from Outer Space. Old 1950s... I know. I yeah. Know. I mean, I'm just giving you shit. So, you know, those are definitely things. Um, you know, uh, characters that just seem like cookie cutter, unless yep. it's a satire. Like, did you see Cabin in the Woods? No, but uh, both Z and K did. And oh, I love it so much. told me all about it. And the subversion of it oh. really did interest me. I thought that was a very creative way to do that. It's beautiful. Uh, but they both advised me that it was probably uh, the first third or three-fourths of it probably still too scary for me. <laughs> well, make them show you the last 20 minutes of it then. Okay. If you can handle gore, make them show you the last 20 yeah, minutes of gore it. Gore doesn't because, bother me. Because I want a movie of the last 20 minutes of Cabin in the Woods. I love the whole thing. Okay. But my God, the last 20 minutes are amazing. And, you know... They played with that because, again, you know, I can watch a movie with cookie-cutter characters if I just know that it's not that it's all tongue-in-cheek. It's not really trying to scare me. Sure. But to make a movie that should – the most frustrating thing as a horror fan is expecting a movie to scare you and have it not, and especially if it doesn't scare you for dumb reasons. Cookie-cutter yes. characters, too formulaic, CGI, no feeling of suspense or atmosphere. That'll kill it, too. All those things, I think, are what makes a horror movie bad. It now, still has to be a good movie. Yes, absolutely. There have to be characters you care about. There has to be a feeling of, especially in a horror movie, atmosphere that builds tension and dread. Yes. Which, you know, doesn't have to be a supernatural. The, 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 you saw No Country for Your Old Man, right? Nope. Ugh. There's a scene in that movie that's just two men talking that creates such a feeling of dread it is almost a horror movie okay some people consider there will be blood a horror movie yeah i've heard that well if you look at it i can kind of understand it because daniel day lewis turns into a monster he's kind of a monster at the beginning of the movie but by the end he's old and decrepit but still just more evil than he's ever been it's a monster movie almost I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen it, um, but other than people calling it a horror movie, I have never heard anything about it that indicated it was a horror movie. Like, I mean, technically, I it's read not. the synopsis. I know what it's about. I technically, it's not. But the touches of it that make it a horror movie, the music, for example, is horror movie music a lot of okay. the times. And again, Daniel Day-Lewis is almost, well, not almost, total physical transformation by the time the movie is over. It's almost like watching The Fly. Okay. And he does it, you know, not makeup effects. He just does it because he's brilliant. Um, yeah. So stuff like that, you know, that makes a good movie. A good yeah. movie is a good movie. It doesn't matter what genre it is. Which and, is why I have seen as many horror movies as I have. Right. <laughs> because some of them are just, they're good movies. And yes. I just, 
I power through the scary part right. because the movie is a good movie. But the scary parts wouldn't work if it wasn't a good movie. So as lo- right, it's just exactly. like when we've talked about comic book movies before, which we will get into in later podcasts. Um, as long as people take the subject matter seriously, care about what's going on, and have something to say, even if that having something to say is something as simple as let's spend an hour and a half beating the shit out of Bruce Campbell, right? then it'll turn out well. And really, that's just the secret. You, you can't be doing it just to make a quick buck. You can't be doing it just because somebody else did it and you want to do it now. Right. You got to care. And that's that's what it is. That's what it's all about. It's, it's about all love. It's about caring. Yeah. Caring and sharing and love. So what is your movie? Um, I think that the one that's going to have to be on top, and I am yeah. not actually including Alfred Hitchcock in okay. my list, um, because they are... Most of them are technically horror movies. Thrillers. They Most are the so are much thrillers. thrillers. Yes, they are so much more phenomenal films. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just, think Psycho could be considered a horror movie. Definitely, The Birds could be considered a horror movie. Yep. The others and, are more thrillers. Yeah, and but and they're all great. I have seen every Alfred Hitchcock movie, and some of them many times, and they're phenomenal. I'm not including them in the ones that I'm considering. Okay. The one I think that tops the list is what lies beneath. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Uh, and it is very Alfred Hitchcockian. Yes, it is. Which was in its favor in terms of why it would make the list. No spoilers, but, but I had a nice to... little twist. Oh, yeah. and like a good one. Yeah. And uh, I had to watch it in my computer monitor. <laughs> I had to watch the reflection of the movie. I couldn't actually look at it head on. Yeah. Yeah. It scared me. It was so draining because it, the pace is very slow. Uh, that, it's you know incredibly what? creepy. I also think that's it's another very thing psychological, that kills very horror personal. movies. If it's not a horror movie that's supposed to be just a fun ride, then it shouldn't happen quickly. Yeah. You need to build that. Yes, you do. And like that whole movie is built and it just, yeah. it's like that, it's the inverse of an orgasm you can't quite get to. <laughs> it just, it starts to itch and it drives you crazy. Yes. And it just brings everything out and things feel more like you can tell the temperature has changed. And, and the performances tell, are good. The people in oh the movie God, are good. So good. It was, it was a really great. That's a great movie. example. I, I never would have thought of it. But that's a great example, and I'm sure I the movie stuck with you for a few days. Oh, yes, and because I couldn't watch it. Like, there have been horror movies that I have just stopped watching. Right. That I just walked away from. Right. It's like, mm, can't take it, walking away. And there have been horror movies that have lingered, like Blair Witch, Scream, right. Jaws. I mean, kind Jaws of the old great. classics. The ones that kind of that just stick with you anytime you go near the ocean. The I theme song plays in your head. Steven like, Spielberg. it's just... I wish Steven Spielberg would devote more of his time to horror because he's so good at creating tension. Yeah. But I think that really, I had to watch What Lies Beneath. I had to keep watching it. It was a great movie, and I also couldn't watch it. Like, I had to turn away, and I had to keep looking. And that all by itself, I've made it probably worse or better. I don't know which (laughs) for me personally. But, But it's also a very simple story. It is. It's incredibly. It's very elegantly done. It's it's just really good, and it's like I Rear would Window, recommend it. 
Rear Window is a simple yes. story. A guy yes. sees something going on in the apartment next door and becomes a voyeur. That's the plot yeah. of that movie. It's you don't need totally anything simple. else. And I think that the elegance of simplicity, if done correctly, the more Hitchcockian version well, of any horror movie. It just becomes underrated because Hollywood movies in general, most people in general tend to take the tact of more is better. Right. And in horror, that's almost never the case. Cabin yeah. in the Woods is a great example of the more is better scenario, but that's not because it makes it scary. It's because it makes it so over the top at certain points that it's a joy to watch. It's like the scene when Uma Thurman goes, I always use this scene as a comparison of the good more is better. Because when she goes into that fucking restaurant at the end of the first Kill Bill and fights like a hundred guys... <laughs> And there's more blood coming out of one person than is in the elevators in The Shining. Right. It is the great more is better because it's purposefully over the top. Yes. And that's the same thing with the last 20 minutes of Cabin in the Woods. It goes from a pretty believable characters, characters you can care about, put in a weird situation, the fear sort of ratchets up, the gore sort of ratchets up, and then in the last 20 minutes, it is that orgasm come to complete fruition all over your partner and the bed and the walls. (laughs) And it's like, it's beautiful. But the problem is, you can't sustain a movie for an hour and a half with more is better. it, It is the perfect example. What's the worst part of it when you see the monster for what it really is? Oh, God. A big yep. plastic fucking spider. Yep. Was, yeah. Nope. So for horror especially, I think, more isn't better, usually. Every once in a while, somebody does something where I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that. More is better in this case. But for the most part, it needs to be a subtle ratcheting up of fear. Go watch the original 1963 version of The Haunting. Oh, uh was that the one that they remade with Liam Neeson? Yes. No, that was House on the Hill. No, no, no. No, no. They did two remakes. House on Haunted Hill was one of them. The Haunting was the other. You're right. It was the Liam Neeson Haunting that completely fucked it up. The original Haunting is great because you hardly ever see anything. But they do such a good job of slowly ratcheting up the fear throughout the whole movie that if you're the kind of person who can put yourself into the situation, who can let the movie sort of envelop you, you will be creeped out by it. And I think that's some of my problem with horror movies, is that I am a pretty empathic Yes, you are. And uh, I lose the safety of my surroundings. Yes, you do. Which is beautiful, which is why you should watch more horror movies. No, no. Because I don't like to be afraid. That means something is wrong. <laughs> well, I am pleasantly surprised by your choice. I do like that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but I do like it. Um, if I were to pick one, it would be a movie called Cairo, which was remade in America as Pulse. Don't okay. see Pulse. Okay. See Cairo. Because it does everything to me that a good horror movie should. It takes its time. It's subtle. There are moments where I promise you you will gasp, and there are moments that are so unusual and ethereal and creepy that you won't gasp, you won't jump, but you'll just be sitting there and feel the skin crawling on your body. The plot isn't linear. It never answers your questions. That's another thing that bothers me is most horror movies, especially in America, the evil has to be defeated. There has to be a definite end, and I think it's better when there's not. Yeah. Like, w- w- does there need to be an explanation for everything? No. Why does the why is a movie like The Birds effective? They never tell you why the fucking birds start attacking. Nope. 
It's just all of a sudden nature's like, hey, humanity, fuck you. Fuck and you. Yep. You don't know why. And you don't need to know why. You just nope. need to care about surviving. One of the problems I think has come into American horror movies a lot lately is the need to explain every little thing. I like Rob Zombie. I honestly do. But his remake of Halloween, for at least the first half, is pointless because it feels like it has to explain why Michael Myers is doing what he does. What about yeah. he's just fucking evil? Yeah. That's all you need. Now, Freddy, I can accept because he's got an interesting backstory and a motivation. Um, Jason Voorhees, even to a certain extent, has a decent backstory and motivation. But the sure. great thing about Michael Myers in the first Halloween movie is all the only explanation you ever get for why he does what he does is Donald Pleasant saying he looked into his eyes and he saw pure evil. There you go. That's all you need. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.